Hey, folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, we're going to welcome in Graham Couch to talk about what's happening up in East Lansing, the great columns from the Lansing State Journal. And we're eventually going to get to the Lions because until Saturday night or maybe early Sunday morning, what the Lions did in Kansas City, the buildup all summer, uh, to me is one of the bigger bigger moments, bigger stories. I mean, uh, all night long, Thursday night into the wee hours of Friday morning, people celebrating all over this metropolitan area of state, jumping up on tables, filming themselves. Kept my wife up till two in the morning. She, she's not even a football fan. She couldn't put it down. So, listener, we're, we're going to get to that. And uh, and that's the fun part of this show. But, uh, and I don't know, maybe Carl also want to get to the fact that Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are apparently hanging out very quietly. Uh, it's been reported today, <laughs> or at least at the moment uh, on Twitter. And, and maybe that had something to do with Travis Kelsey not playing against the Lions. I don't know. But we got to get serious here for a bit. And uh, and that's why we got Graham here. And, uh, you know, Graham, just I know. How about this? Uh, we'll, we'll get to Mel Tucker in two seconds. To the University of, uh, excuse me, Michigan State University, what they've done, how they've handled this. But I know you were at a press conference where the interim coach, is that is that fair to say, Harlan Barnett, was introduced. Uh, you've known him for a long time. Just what were your quick, immediate thoughts on on that and, and how he sounded? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, uh, Harlan is, is really built to be uh, in this position um, for Michigan State just because he, he played there. He coached so many years under Mark D'Antonio. Um, he is somebody who, uh, you know, I, there are, there are certain people in the world you you cover that you you like, but you would never vouch for as being a good person. There are other people that you would be stunned if they weren't um, exactly who you thought they were. And I, I've always liked Carlin. Um, I think he's a salt of the earth guy. He's got a big challenge ahead of him, and he answered the questions well. He, he's he's somebody who's always um, been respectful of, of 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 media and sort of their role and tried to engage in these settings. So it, it works when you come from the, the press conference Sunday where it's a very serious tone and, and, and all those sort of pieces. And, and there's a lot of serious stuff talked about today, but he is uh, a more conversational voice. He gives more than Mel Tucker did in these settings, which is, is, is important, I think, right now. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was exactly what I expected from him. Whether, whether this works on the football field, a whole different discussion. But in terms of a front man and somebody who's, I think, of high character, he's, he's, he's built for this. Well, Graham, you know, uh, thanks for coming on the show, by the way. Sean, Sean didn't bother to thank you for your time, but uh, I will. You know, Graham wrote a great comment. No, that's implied. The very first that's implied. The, of course, of course it is. Oh, I'm still waiting for my thanks three years later, so it'll, it'll come. But, uh, you know, Graham wrote a really great column in the Lansing State Journal not mincing words. Um, right away, he wrote, Mel Tucker has almost certainly coached his last game at Michigan State. I don't see any path for him to continue leading MSU's football program, nor should he. You know what? And um, I love that you didn't beat around the bush. You got right to it. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you can't see him. No matter what happens in the hearing in early October, there's just no way. There's no path back for him. Even if he's somehow exonerated in this hearing, I mean, there would be lawsuits, there'd be different, you know, there's going to be, you can't come back from this, right? There's no way for Mel Tucker, even if he's, you know, quote, unquote, whatever, innocent, it was consensual, blah, blah, blah. There's no way, right? He ever coaches for Michigan State, perhaps ever again as a head coach, right? Yeah, I, I would put the percentage chance at almost zero. And uh, I, I just don't, not only, do, I mean, I, there's no way because it's, it's not just that 
and obviously in terms of the finances of this and how much the university owes him and how that fight uh, goes from here. I, I, I think the, the hearing in October uh, is important. Um, and, and obviously for the sake of knowing what happened and the justice for Brenda Tracy or whatever, there, there, that's an important hearing. Uh, but in terms of his ability to coach moving forward at Michigan State, like as of now, he's the donor base is gone. They, they don't want him back. Uh, a lot of fans have already gone that way. I don't see how you lead young men when you are supposed to be somebody of of good judgment uh, and discipline and accountability, and then this happens. There's just no way. And he's already, I think, done enough to breach his contract in, in terms of the language in there, bring embarrassment to the university and whatnot, that, that they can get out of this deal. Now, you know what that winds up looking like financially, I don't know, but uh, he, there's just no way he's going to coach again. And when you listen to Harlan Barnett talk today, he does not sound like a guy who is there for four weeks. I don't think anybody, I mean, they've taken down um, signage or uh, pictures of, of, uh, of Mel Tucker uh, in, in the hallway outside the media room. Like the, the, this does not look like a temporary deal. They're, they're, they're moving on. Well, let's get consider. I mean, okay. Th- whether he's exonerated or not, the hearing, and I know that's important to, a fair amount of people. I don't want to dismiss that. But let's look, aside from that, aside from the act, let's look at what he did, uh, allegedly. He, he he admitted it, once he admitted it, right? And this, again, is alleged. But uh, he and his lawyer first tried to ask Michigan State to dismiss it. Not that surprising, maybe not that uh, shaky morally at all. When that didn't happen, they tried to settle. Again, allegedly, when that didn't happen, they went after Brenda Tracy's character, including uh, tossing out, and I mean, not publicly, obviously, but tossing to uh, people at Michigan State, at least, that she is suggesting that ESPN was working on a story that was going to completely blow up her origin story to some degree, that that she was gang raped out at, I want to say, Oregon, Oregon State, right? I mean, he let his, maybe he didn't do it, but he let his lawyer do it. So he needs just that, yeah. just that yeah. alone, that alone right there, he shouldn't, he should never coach again. He, yeah, he needs a, uh, a, he should have had a PR crisis firm. He would have been better off with, ready to go, and it'd be a different attorney. Too often, people because how you look is a, is is a um, like people want to like Mel Tucker, and he has made himself very unlikable here. And if, if he had come out looking apologetic to some degree, and I understand there are ways you can't apologize if you're still an open case and you're trying to have it found in, on, on your behalf, but at least apologizing maybe publicly to your estranged wife and children, or your family, or at least looking human and looking like somebody of decency and not attacking her. I mean, because you know, you're a 51-year-old, your life is not over, your coaching career probably didn't have to be over. I, I think it's going to be tough now. I mean, I'm not saying at Michigan State it was done, but you know we've seen a number of these Nick Saban reclamation projects, right, where people show up on the you know as an analyst for a couple of years, and I don't even think that's really possible now. I, I, I Bobby Petrino, right? Well, yeah, and and the problem that if, if Mel Tucker was thought of as the genius that Bobby Petrino is offensively, people might be able to look past this. If, if Mel Tucker had coached Michigan State to ten wins again last year. I think it would be an interesting conversation. A little bit at MSU, there would be people who are a lot more bummed out, although I do think most people at MSU are just tired of this stuff. And the, you can just see the 
the tolerance for it is at, a, at an all time low. People just aren't. It doesn't matter what you what else you've done. Whereas you know, ten years ago, a really winning coach, people would be hanging on to it as long as they could. I, I think now with this, people know you just can't at MSU. That doesn't work. But yeah, if, if he had been, if he had, was looked at as somebody who was a no brainer coach, as somebody who added to your staff, that would help his career. But I, yeah, right now I think um, the choices he's made since this became public, and I understand he's probably angry, and he may, you know, who he probably he may feel a certain way that it was consensual, even if it wasn't. Who knows? But you, you've just got to. Some of his character, I think, has been revealed since then, and I think that's a problem. I think you, you know. The, hitting on the whole, you know, he's made himself unlikable. I don't see himself in a reclamation thing, even like you said, you know, rehabilitate his image. I can't even see him, even if he disappears for a while, I don't see any, I don't see TV clamoring to have one. The next job that he has, the very first question is going to be, tell us about your sexual harassment thing and the masturbation. And like, I, nobody wants a part of that. No, no, no business entity, no anything wants a part of it, even if he's going dropping down to FCS somewhere. But again, it's not like he has this amazing resume of championships, you know, and whatever on his on his uh, behind him. So I can't see him ever being in a public role like this again. I'm always amazed that, you know, people go to law school for years. And I mean, I, I, I can't imagine the three of us would have led him down this path with advice and, and things. It's like, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, you know, it, there ought to be like a common sense box or just uh, because there a question that you have to get past, or it doesn't matter what else you do on the bar, because there are, it, it is really remarkable. Like I, I think of, there was a way for him to paint himself as a lonely coach, estranged from his wife who misread a situation and may have messed up here. And, and, and still come out publicly now and say, you know, I think I, I thought I read this situation correctly. I disagree that it wasn't consensual. You know, I, I, I apologize that, that she thinks that. Um, I apologize to my wife and kids. Uh, this is not the person I am. Um, I look forward to the hearing playing out, and I'm not going to comment further until then. I apologize to my team. I apologize to the coaches and everybody I've let down. And everybody's going, boy, you feel a little bad for this guy a little bit. He could have painted that picture. And he didn't. And, uh, and I didn't, I, I don't think he did because that's not, that not who he is. Speaking of painting pictures, what kind of picture do you think Michigan state's painted? Because to me, uh, I think we're all three here in agreement that the press conference rollout on Sunday where the interim president, uh, Teresa Woodruff doesn't take any questions and the athletic director, Alan Haller takes three and they're really not very clear, and they get fuzzy with Title IX, and they're so worried about legal issues or perhaps publicity issues that they say nothing, which makes it worse, and that kind of starts to shift, and the Title IX policy argument starts getting out there. And I, I'm just curious where – I mean, I have some thoughts. I'll share them in a bit, but uh, I'm curious where you think that is and how they've handled it the last couple of days. Well, the, there are two points. They, they, have, they have lost they, – they lost in the um, – the press conference they lost. They lost an opportunity. They lost the PR chance there um, just to explain things, to look um, as, as open as they could, as sincere as they could, uh, like they weren't hiding anything, all that. But it's, it, you know, I, I think they're still better off losing that press conference, handling it. I, they would want to redo. I, you know, I, I texted Alan Haller that night and said, 
so you know you're going to get some backlash about these the, the way the press conference unfolded and i was trying to get some clarity from him but the um on some things but you know he goes yeah i i, I think they would love to do that over again you know i mean I, they, they they get it losing the press conference is much less important than um ultimately having inappropriately done the investigation and what will the judgment on michigan state is going to be how the title nine investigation was handled and there is some evidence both then but but really since then and and, and our reporter matt mancarini and talking to Teresa woodruff and other people that they have handled this as they were supposed to in terms of the the investigation part of it press conference blown opportunity and but what is more important in, in terms of the history and in terms of the trust for the university is how this eventually plays out over the coming weeks and and and, and maybe month or so, and what is ultimately revealed in terms of who knew what when and how they should have handled it. Yeah, the, you know what? Um, and I think that's that, to me the way the way I read that press conference was yet again, you know, the lack of transparency for Michigan State. They're still. In denial, they, they aren't they aren't forthcoming with as much information as they could have been, and that's I think that's the in the broader context of when people are talking about Michigan State. I mean, right now it's Tucker, but it's part of this history, right? Of the of the player problems under D'Antonio and the, the Nasser stuff, and the you know it's just one more thing, and it all it the the, the consistent part of it is the administration of Michigan State is even though there have been different people in charge, it's just. They just don't seem to know how to handle it, you know. And I, what I want to know from you, Kip, from you, Graham, is: um, Do you think at least that, that were the proper steps taken with the complaint being made last December, and then I think in July that Haller, I believe, was or the, the administration was made aware of some of the accusations? Like, did they handle that correctly? At least were they taking the right uh, steps at the right time as far as how much they could proceed under Title IX? If if what we've been told is correct, then yes, it looks like this has been handled pretty well. And so what, 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 it, what it sounds like through the clarification we've gotten, and this is what they should have said Sunday, and this is part of the problem. You have the group of reporters there. You have the media there. You have people's attention. And it's a complex subject, Title IX. A lot of people cover it don't get it right. It, it, it's difficult. Uh, there's the questions I always have about, wait, what, what are you allowed to know when? Who's supposed to know what when? And, and, and that sort of, those basic processes sh- should have been absolutely it, it, it better explained. What we're basically being told is late December, they were aware that there was a complaint against Mel Tucker. Uh, but beyond that, did not know the contents of it. Alan Haller may have known a little bit more uh, just based on, cause he had to put some measures in place. Uh, I don't, he didn't know much more though. Um, but so, you know, did he know the name of the, 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 you know, that it was Brenda Tracy then I, I'm still not hundred percent clear there, but they knew very little of the contents of it. And then come end of July when the, the, the outside investigator files their report, I, I believe that is the first time that, uh, Teresa Woodruff knew that it was, uh, uh, Brenda Tracy involved, um, and, that, and and then they were recommended to go to that hearing in October. But they still did not know the contents of it. We're told basically until the USA Today story dropped. So if if that if that is if that is true, um, then and and that's the way it's supposed to work. That your bosses don't 
you know, the bosses don't know uh, the details of the, these things and, and um, you know, for better or worse. I mean, I have some issues with the process as a whole, not just in Michigan State, but like is, is, as good as Title IX is, as important as it is, the protections it, uh, it involves, to be fair, the, 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 to, to make uh, a process fair for two people, screwed over 100 athletes and a coaching staff and all sorts of things like that. Like that's, that's not a perfect process. And I get that there may not be one. And it, and it just stinks, but like that, that that's that's kind of where we are now as well. But I don't think they could have. You can say they can suspend him in December, but if if you do that based on almost no knowledge, just on a Title IX investigation, on somebody filing a complaint and going into an investigation, that's a precedent that that is um, with coaches and other things would be would 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 be interesting. I mean, it, it, because the other problem at that point, and when you're trying to keep things somewhat behind closed doors is if Mel Tucker isn't there in January to recruit, he's not at spring practice. He's gone for four or five months and you suspended him and you don't know if you're bringing him back or not. Cause you don't understand what's in that case. Um, that, that's a whole different issue. So I, I you know, I, I do think if, if they, you know, they may have handled it by the book in this case, they just did not explain it very well on, on, on Sunday. I would, uh, okay. Bring it, Sean. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So <clears throat> this is how, and I wrote about this some, but this is to me, this is how I look at it. You, you, you can make a moral argument. Yes, they followed everything. They didn't do anything they weren't supposed to do. I think we can probably agree on that by the letter of the law, by the school's own policies. But let me just say off the top, first of all, they had every right to suspend him. Their title line policy allows that. The the person who runs the title line office has that authority. Um, the president has that authority. Uh, the minute Howler found out that he had to put a no contact order with the person and oversight on the football coach, he had that authority. Uh, so let's just get out there. Not only that, well, hold on, hold on, of- but, but we don't know that. So I, I don't want to get ahead of reporting that I may not, you know, people may not, but there is a chance that, that also that there was not complete agreement on that. And and that certain people are overruled. So I, I don't I don't want to I don't no, want to maybe maybe yeah, so, so. The free the yeah. free press, the news side our free, the, our news side of our paper reported um, that by the letter of the law they have the authority. And the reason yeah. they do is because this happens all the time, not just in Michigan State, but in campuses all over the state, where a complaint's made and allegations made, and you suspend the person, a professor, uh, a, a a maintenance supervisor of a building, anybody on campus, anybody associated, they get suspended immediately. And then pending the investigation, that is common practice, excuse me, practice. That's also in line with the larger societal uh, sort of corporate world where that's what HR does, right? That's just where we're at. That's that's very, very common. So they absolutely had the legal authority to do it. I, I don't blame them for not doing it in December. But when they when they got the report, they had there's legal there's legal space for them to get enough information for, or for that matter, for the title nine person to go to Woodruff first and maybe holler and say, we need to get we, without revealing, right? We need to, he doesn't need to run training camp or the first few games we need to get to there. So they had that right. And they do that in other parts of their university, just as other schools do. I think it was because of the public nature, right? So they treated, him differently because he's the head coach. So it was a so to me it was a PR and a contract decision. It was not 
it was not consistent with how they do other things and how Title IX works in other places. That, that, that's my only beef. You can make an argument, okay, fine, we're going to make an exception because he's the head football coach and we owe him $80 million. But to your point about the kids, I think it's a lot more fair to suspend him in July and just say there's a Title IX investigation pending, we're suspending him, and that's it. Nobody's outed unless Brennan Tracing wants to come out. And then you give the kids, a, 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 you know, and everybody has a little bit more information sooner. But that's cool. just me. But I understand people might have a different view of that. But Yeah, no, and, 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 you know, and I respect that. And I, and I think that, you know, that's, that's absolutely um, fair. I think MSU is trying, you know, MSU would argue that, that, that this was the way they, they ought to play it. Now, it, because Mel Tucker is not a janitor or a supervisor of a lab or something that would go unnoticed, uh, it would destroy your football program in a lot of ways to have him suspended, um, which is a financial concern. So there, there, there are other factors at play. The, the, the July thing I've gone back and forth on because absolutely, as soon as you knew, if, if you had the ability to know, like somebody in July could have said, this is, there's enough here. However, for the sake of the players, I've gone back and forth on this and sort of thought about this. Um, What was probably absolutely fair was that the players would have that information earlier. What was best for them is this. Like, there's no good timing. This this stinks for a lot of people. Well, before the portal. (laughs) What what, what I mean by this is because right now, what they're going to have now is they're going to get to play. They're going to have 10 weeks for new data points. So where, what usually happens is a coach gets let go, and so the portal opens up to all these athletes. And the last data point they have is, coach is fired, life's going to change, what do I do? I've got to figure this out in 30 days. Other programs are jumping in saying, I need a receiver, I need this. Some guys might go into the portal, find a spot, might not. Might not. It doesn't work out for a lot of them, it works out for some, whatever. Now they at least get 10 weeks to experience this, to see what Michigan State's going to do long term, to play a season out on campus where they're settled, where they've chosen to be, and figure out, do I want to be here? And then at the end of the season, if not, I'm going to go somewhere else. And they're going to have, once Mel Tucker is officially fired, they're going to have 30 days to jump in the portal. They can do that during the season and keep playing. They're going to have their time. Even the guys who've transferred once before, they're all going to be able to, 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 to jump in the portal and, and, um, you know, and, and then make a decision if they want to. So, I, I think for the players, this will wind up being slightly better than it would have been in July. Is it more fair to them? Nothing's fair to them here. This is crap. So, um, but I, I do think just thinking about like for a 20 year old trying to digest this and figure out the best immediate situation for them, that having 10 weeks to process it and play a season and figure out is it the school I want to be at? What are they going to do? Are they going to keep this coaching staff? Are they going to bring a different one in? Uh, getting over the initial shock of it, I, I think those are all things that will help more guys make better decisions. One, set, one, one, one point quick, Carlos. I, I understand, and that's a, that's a fair argument, but there were people on that campus in July that knew he was not going to be their football coach down the road. They did. It, yeah. it, all, all it takes, it, you don't have to read the whole report to figure that out. Yeah. So at that point, they're, they're thinking about money, and they're thinking about how it plays out, and that's where I—that's where I—I I, I think they—they they messed up. Not they just—they suspended their players in the tunnel before the investigation was done by the cops. I, I understand that's not Title IX, but we—you and I talked about this, Graham. They have student athletes now who used to stay and play with the teams 
while the investigation was pending. That was, you know, 10 years ago. That doesn't happen anymore now. They're immediately suspended. So I, I don't think it's fair there, there are, there are to not reasons. be concerned. There are different just, rules, though, for, for, for employees versus students with Title IX. So that, that is one thing that is, is – I understand it. That there are different things in terms of, like, um, the automatic suspension or whatnot. But, yeah, it's a fair point. Ricky White, a couple of years ago, caught a million touchdown passes against Michigan, won this epic game during the COVID thing, and then is, is in Title IX, you know, is gone. It just disappears. And um, so, yeah, no, I, no I, I understand your point. Yeah, no, they made a – to me, they made a business decision. And, I also um, think we don't know yet. That's the other thing. I don't think we know yet, and I think we will know in a matter of weeks whether this was handled as well as it should have been or could have been. And there may always be decisions that could have been made slightly differently that people will disagree on. Um, but I think we'll have a really good sense of whether the intent was to handle this as best as possible and whether mostly that was executed well. You know, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, well, Graham, since you brought up the whole, you know, the players have to wait and see, is this the coaching staff that's going to be here? What about that? What about the future of, you know, Barnett? Is this a 10-week tryout for him? Is it better to just cut the cord, start over, hire Coach Prime, let's just do it? I mean, like, what what is the best possible outcome for the program for the fans and alumni boosters, all that does does Matt Ishbia have more money between the cushions to to, to pay Deion Sanders? What what's going on? What do they need to do going forward from here? Is it Barnett or somebody else? You know, uh, Barnett's going to get a trial here. I, I you know I think Barnett is a guy who has a um, a high floor. I don't know what his ceiling is, right? So I, I think he's a that makes him a good interim coach. I think, but the. The question will be is, if this season plays out better than expected, if it feels like the progress that had been made in the program is continuing, if it feels like this staff was getting somewhere and he looks like a decent leader of that staff and of the program, then you're going to have a real decision to make. Like, well, is this this progress that, that is worth continuing here? Is this the right person? I think it's more than likely they're going to go outside. Um, but when faced, I mean, and I don't, you know, this is a team that's got enough flaws that they're going to face a lot of a lot of issues, right? Uh, they're going to face some challenges. and it, it, But if they, he can keep a team focused and with resolve throughout the year, I think that's impressive. I think if it feels like their young players are growing into things and they're, they're, you can see promise and you like everything else, there's an argument that they should stay. And I think Harlan Barnett said that today, that he looks at it as a trial. This is his chance to show who, what he is. And he, you know, he's always wanted to be a head coach and this is his, his shot. Um, more likely, I mean... The, well, Alan Haller and that, that leadership, and, and we don't know who the president will be by then or anything, but need to do at the end of this is do whatever's best for the university and, and for the football program. And if that's going outside, you know, it's going to, a lot of people's lives are going to be up. And, but you got to think about the program two, three years from now, even if it's going to be a hard year or two. I do think that who the next coach is, though, this changes it. Like, Deion Sanders does not work at Michigan State because the next coach cannot be somebody who comes in like Mel Tucker did as much as a transactional nature. Now, you're going to have to use the portal well and all that stuff, but you're going to need somebody who just understands what this university and what these players have been through. You can't come in and basically say, I'm looking to cut all of you or compete to play, compete to stay. That 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 doesn't work. We see it all the time in sports where um, organizations overreact. You get the players coach and then they get the hard edge coach next. That doesn't work. They go back to the players coach. They go back and forth. Kind of. <laughs> uh, you don't want to do that 
you don't, I mean, you hire the best coach, but you have to be aware that that coach has to be somebody who comes in and says, um, you know, these guys who are here are, are my guys as much as the guys that I'm going to go get. And, and I think that's the best way to try to keep some level of momentum to keep some guys in the program that are important players and not have this be a complete rebuild. Well, Graham, uh, really appreciate you coming in. Uh, it's always uh, great to have your insight. We're going to take a, um, you know, look, w- th- this story is going to be out there for a while. The Tucker stuff is going to fade for maybe a bit and come back with the hearing and what, what and whatever revelations we find out through that. But eventually it's going to be about the games again, as it should be, because that's really what this is about, right? It's about the student athletes who play the game and the other 30,000 students up there who, uh, who support them, not to mention all the alums. So in any case, uh, maybe we can get you back on later in the season, talk about some Michigan State football on the field, uh, maybe how the coaching staff's doing. That would be great. But uh, in the meantime, we'll, oh, go ahead. No, I, I look forward to it. But yeah, I, I do think the reaction is going to be interesting. Like, I would be stunned if, you know, there were boos a little bit early in that first week against CMU. I would be stunned if anything that happened on the field this week um, resulted in that. I think there will be sort of a, a sense of shared trauma between the fan base and, and the program and people like Harlan Barnett. And they've got a really tough opponent, but I think there will be some understanding. And if they're, you know, you know, obviously people want them to be competitive and win the game, but I think I think people will feel like they need to rally around this group um, for a while. Yeah, I, I'll be shocked. I would not expect booing at all. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Shared trauma is a great way to put that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Graham might stay through the break because we have a couple of quick questions off the mic, but uh, <laughs> we will be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, and we will talk about your lines. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlson and Sean. Um, that was great having Graham in, very uh, thoughtful columnist for the Lansing State Journal, and uh, we needed to let him go so he could keep writing stories about what's going on up there. But, um, Carlos, it's interesting because, and I, it was a little bit tricky to tell because I was at the game in Kansas City and I was in Nebraska the next couple of days for working on something else. And I wasn't back here, so it was mostly few phone conversations, sex with a few friends, colleagues, whatever, and then just reading you guys and reading stuff on Twitter and Facebook. But but even from, you know, 500 miles away, I could feel the the earth move a little bit here after that win. It just felt different. Uh, it, right? <laughs> it, 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 just, it just felt different. You, you were at a press conference. I don't know if you stayed for the players, maybe you left after Dan Campbell earlier this week, but, but he was talking about it a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah. It's, I don't know if it was you that asked the fans, about it. He was asking about the fans. Yeah, someone, someone asked about the fans. Somebody else was talking about it, but just, you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes, but that was, it's like, I, I, I think I teased this at the top of the show. My wife was up way past her bedtime watching these celebration videos and she's not particularly a football fan. She couldn't pull herself away. And I said, why? And she said, I just have never seen this. But she understood it because she knows it's pent up over the last 60 years, right? So I'm like, but this is just one regular season game. What, what do you make of this, Carlos? It's, it's one game. Why are people well, filming themselves? Jumping, 
Why are they filming themselves jumping up on tables, dancing and celebrating after the first well, game? Well, I, I mean, I understand your wife's point of view because your 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 two sons were just puddles of goo on the floor. Probably they were apoplectic. I mean, all the celebration at the at the Windsor home. I'm sure. No, there was, were there were a, a big a bunch of people over there. My brother brought mm-hmm. his son, who's a, who's a student at U of M, and he and he brought a bunch of his buddies that are from somewhere out in Oakland County or somewhere. So there were a bunch of people over here eating pizza. She said it would, they went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not surprised. I've been, as, as everybody knows, we talked about this before. I wrote a column about watching the Windsor boys in action during a loss that had them questioning the, you know, the merits of life itself. It was an existential crisis at the Windsor household when they lost to the Vikings last week. So I'm not surprised that the opposite would be true. The jubilation, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the epiphany is happening. Um, so I don't blame her. I was watching, I couldn't stop looking at, um, uh, stuff on Twitter, the memes, all the reactions to Kadarius Tony and how bad his hands were. That was just, it's the opposite, Sean. Your, your wife's a good person. And I'm a bad person because it was Schadenfreude. I just, it was just so fun to, to see the, the, all the fans, all the, all the, the KC fans angry at <laughs> Tony basically losing the game single-handedly for the Chiefs, so uh, it it was hilarious. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, no, but th- but this was uh, a little. I don't want to say it was over the top. That's a judgment call. But um, and I, you know, but it's, but it's not. No, it's not surprising at all. Just the. I mean, dude, ten thousand people showed up at Arrowhead Stadium and somehow got tickets and circled the lower bowl after the game and. To the point where Jameer Gibbs is going up, jumping in the stands, doing what the Lambo Leap version in in, in, in Arrowhead. Which By is, the way, let me let me say this: we we were at the Campbell press conference, and someone asked him about the fans. That when did you know that Ford Field could be you know loud or whatever? And you know, people forget. Uh, you know, it's been loud for a while. I mean, I remember Rod Marinelli, who Campbell played for back in the mid late two thousands, and he used to call it a pit. He was the first one who was saying this thing, you know, when that defense started getting good under him, he's like in, in that corner, in the closed off corner of, of Ford Field, that was a real advantage. And they had a lot of false starts from the other team. Campbell said that was the first time he noticed it when was he was a player with the Lions in his first game. First like, game. Coincidentally, yeah. against Seattle, was it was so loud. I was like, wow. I was shocked at how, you know, it was so loud. Kind of a backhanded compliment because I guess people come to Detroit thinking, yeah, the team sucks. It's not very good. Whatever people are going to be blase about it, but they don't understand how baked into the DNA the Lions fandom is, and they can't help it. Um, and when they're even close to good, they get loud. When they're really, really good, they get super loud. We've seen it before. I mean, we've seen it. You know, the Indomitian Sioux era, the Calvin Johnson era. You know, and Stafford and the five thousand yard season and stuff. You know, that place gets really loud. Um, and this year, you know, I mean, you cannot. It'll be interesting. What do you what do you expect Sunday against the Seahawks, man? Home opener, coming off that huge win. I mean, it's is it is it going to be insane? Is it going to be yeah, what's I mean, going to happen? Yeah, I do. I, I think and Campbell alluded to that. They, I think they expect that it's going to be at a different level, and I think it will be as as long as they play, you know, well and are competitive. But I think it'll be as. La- I mean, I'm trying to remember. I remember sitting there with you one time, and it was hard to hard to hear you. Uh, and you were we we were sitting right next to each other, and I don't remember what game that was or what was what was happening, but it wasn't for a playoff team, right? No, you know, it was for a, a team with a losing record, and we something fun was happening on the field for the fans, and we could barely hear each other. 
<laughs> I mean, it's just, it's true. Yeah. The reputation is, is, or the assumption, your point about folks outside of the Michigan making the assumption. That's why Dan Campbell was surprised, right? Because the, the Lions just don't have that winning culture. I think that was yeah. part of, I think it was part of it made it feel a little bit different. And, and folks were excited because they beat the defending champs. Yes. And Patrick Mahomes. Yes. But also because they had the stage, you know, with just one of the mm-hmm. team in a way that they're they, on, on opening night, you know, and, and and so it gave them validation a little bit too. And and yeah. I think that and I think that's part of the buzz. And I still think there are people out there that are like, is this really happening? Did we just watch our team and see four rookies make plays again for the third year in a row? we might have some promising good young players, right? So I, there's still a little bit of disbelief. At some point, that'll change. Maybe later this season, I don't know. But uh, but yeah. No, it's, not th- would- it's not three straight years. It's a, it's half a year, really. That first year was a train wreck. It was tough with Reed, 13-1. You know, the, yeah, you had Amon Rossi and Brown. No, he looked good. It. He looked good almost immediately. And, and right. people aren't as in tune to what a, what a tackle does. But they were, they you know, but Sewell showed some promise and he pancaked some people or whatever. And you could, you could see his feet, his movement, his quickness. So yeah, no, I, you're right. They didn't win much, but, but the young guys look good immediately or, or fairly, fairly quickly, I should say. Yeah. There was some promise there. I mean, you know, and then last year was a train wreck again at the beginning. And yeah, some of the players looked good, decent, I guess. But you know, it wasn't until the second half of that season last year where really you could see, people hitting their strike and the young players, the first and second year players, you know, Aiden Hudson obviously looked very good at the beginning, you know, right off the start. But, uh, but this is the first year. Yeah. This is the first year where you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing more rookies, I guess, right. Contribute to Brian Branch and Jimmy Gibbs, you know, they're, they're, they're coming on, you know, quickly. They're still not perfect. Obviously they've got, there's no. still got a ways to go, but yeah, they do. But it's now it's a compilation of that. I'm in St. Brown. So, He's a he's a Pro Bowler. Hutchinson's probably going to be a Pro Bowler. You know, all these Sewell's a Pro Bowler. All these guys, they're they're all hitting their stride. So now, you know, it's making sense. You just wrote a column about that. I'm going to go ahead and and, uh, tease that because you're going to tease it yourself pretty soon. But yeah, you wrote a column about how Brad Holmes. It's not a surprise anymore. Now it's not an anomaly or whatever. It's like yeah, you expect this. Now it's not a surprise that Holmes is finding very good players throughout the draft. on Wuzurike, Levi Wuzurike, second round pick, uh, a couple of years ago, first in his first draft, uh, still like kind of the missing puzzle piece of the puzzle there. But you can't be perfect. You can't be perfect. No, on every, although, every although draft. he looked okay in Kansas City, you know, I mean, he hadn't played in so yeah. long. He, but you, Josh Pascal, he looked good, right? Pascal's uh, been hurt. Yeah, he's uh, looked better. Ali um, McNeil is—he's probably not a Pro Bowl player, but he looks like a third good, round pick. Though he's—he's he's not supposed to be amazing. He's but he looks like good. a good player. That's sure. Absolutely, it's, maybe, all, it's all relative to where you're picked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe even a very good player. I don't know. I mean, but that's the thing. All of a sudden, Kirby Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know um, that—that's what's. I think that's what's new. And Dave, Dave Burkett and I were talking about this the other day in, in Allen Park that that he was just kind of shaking his head. We were talking about the rookies uh, on Thursday night in Kansas City, and he just kind of had a smile on his face. He said, "This is just different." He said, "It's yeah. it's it's take it's it's hard to get used to it that this yeah. is an organization that would because that shows 
and he he made the comment to me, and I don't I don't think we're talking out of turn here, but that Brad Holmes told him once, "Hey, finding the talent's easy. That's not the that's not the hard part of this job." And Dave was looking at me after he told me, he's like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the job? What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah. Right, but he was just. I guess Brad was uh, Holmes was talking about team building and aspects and you know developing and all this other. But he made it sound like looking and finding talent out of college. He was maybe he was diminishing or dismissing his own ability. This guy just might have a a, a gift for it. I mean, who knows? I, I don't know. He might absolutely. Yeah. No, there, there's no question. If you think if you think finding the talent is not hard, then uh, <laughs> you've got a gift, you know. Um, but yeah, he's talking about holistically working together with the yeah. system that you yeah. have, the coach that you have, and all that. And um, you know that that's a huge part of it, a huge component. You've talked about it. We've talked about it before, and how it should be adversarial, but it really isn't at least right now. But things change over the years. We saw this with Jim Schwartz as well, and. Martin Mayhew and Tom Luan, and there was a power struggle there between the three. And you know, as you as as you find more success, that changes dynamics of uh, power dynamics among leadership sometimes. So uh, they're just getting to that point where they're starting to be good. And can they keep this up? Can they keep up? You know, the drafting. Can they keep up uh, the working relationship so that it continues to be strong? Um, and it's unique because they were hired by uh sheila ham definitely with the marching orders of you guys get along you guys get along i don't want any fighting i don't want any bickering i want open communication i don't want what i had before and patricia and quinn you know it needs to work together um and that's they've always espoused that from the beginning that's their marching orders on the owner is talk it out be it get on the same page uh, and communicate, you know, with each other, with the organization, with the brass, with her. And that's, that's important. And there, as long as they stick to it, you know, even if there are, even if there are ebbs and flows here, you know, that's a good sort of North star, I think, mission statement for these guys. No, for sure. It's going to be interesting too, because the, they, they look, they look good at the end of, you know, last half of last season. They look like a, a good team and they look like a good second team. best record in the NFL. Right. And they look like a good team Thursday night in Kansas City. I don't know how good Kansas City was out without asterisk. It's there's, an asterisk. There's, yeah. Right. They're second and third best <laughs> players. And they're one, and, you know, Tony struggled to catch a little bit. And, you know, Detroit's offense obviously struggled a little bit. He was, he was, he just, I mean, I don't know, like, a stone statue probably could have caught better than he did. He's yeah, no, the, the the most egregious one was the interception, right? And there's a still photo where the ball is coming right into his hands and his chest. And it says, and the ball is almost in his hands, and it says this ended up being a pick six. And yeah. it's it's a striking picture to look yeah. at. It looks like he's catching the ball and just about to catch the ball in stride, right? Right? Mm-hmm. So that was easily the most egregious. Plus, it was the most costly because it led to, led to a, a, a touchdown the last one was off his fingertips so that's whatever but the other that was the most egregious one because that would have won the game for them. yeah but that was that by far the game. hardest catch i mean it was not it was a harder catch if an nfl receiver gets the ball anywhere near his hands in his hands especially he needs to catch it and nobody's touching him He's no, I don't. I, just don't, I don't agree with that at all that that's if you ever try to catch a football if it's if it's just at your fingertips then it's really, really hard to catch, right? I mean, 
There's maybe a few guys receiver. can do no, it. There's no NFL receiver on the planet. Go ask one. The ball's in your in your hands, at your hands, should you catch that ball. And nobody's touching you 1,000%. Yeah, they will at, say, of course. At, at your hands, if you can get a hand on it, but if you can only get a fingertip, and it looked like he was on his fingertips, all I'm saying is it would have been a spectacular catch if he grabbed it. But No, it wasn't. No, no, no. It was in his, not fingertips, it was in his hands. He was turned a little bit awkwardly, but it was kind of a, an off yeah, catch because it, it would have been in front of him. It was but he behind, should catch that. It was, it was behind him, and he was, he was reaching up, if I remember correctly. It wasn't a shoulder pad level. He was reaching up, right? Anyway. No, it was, he, it was, uh, it was shoulder pad level. No, it wasn't shoulder pad level. I watched it like 10 times, Sean, before I wrote about it. Yes, it was a very, very, very catchable yeah, ball. But I don't, you but could when, hear, if you were at the stadium like I was, you could hear the fans just, oh, no, I was not at the stadium, but I was listening on TV. Even on TV, you could hear the, the deflation at Arrowhead of that. And what did the announcer game. say about it? Uh, did he should have had it? He said, "Probably." I don't know. I don't remember what the announcer said about it. Oh, gee, I don't know. Chris Collins works. Who knows? Yeah, no, no. I was just gonna say, but I mean, when you say I've watched something ten times, I, I don't really know that there's what that means. You know, you know what is that? I it mean, means I watched it many, many times. And no, no, no. I, I understand that you watched it, but I don't really care what Chris Collinsworth says to protect the reputation. Of no, the, no, no. I, I, I know that that means you watched it. I just. uh you know, perception is, yeah, I mean, you know. They win, I that, guess, game. Uh, they win that game if you catch that ball. They, Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, they, they probably do, assuming they make the field goal, right? Yeah. I think I think they assume that. In any case, it was, um, I think what, I think the, the, the thing that was so different for so many Lions fans, obviously the summer of hype and the lead up and all that, but the idea that the defense – and the second half of the game uh, forced, uh, what, seven third, down, third downs not to be converted. I know that didn't come out very eloquently, but they didn't give up a third down conversion in the second half. And you can say one or two of those were drops, but the rest of them were just good defense. And oh, yeah. it was, I think that was, again, that's just a surprising thing. Because the offense was by far, they scored 14 points. Yeah. You know, they struggled, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, by that measure, they struggled. Um, though they did things, I mean, at the end, they closed, when when Kansas City at the very end, when they, you know, couldn't convert on their possession, uh, the Lions closed it out, you know, and they closed it out with your boys running it on the ground behind your vaunted offensive line, your favorite favorite players on the, on the field. Um they did what they needed to do. And this is what I heard from Lions fans is, is you saw it on, on social media, saw it from, you know, talking to fans myself. Uh, it was like, this felt like this was what was happening to the chiefs was what usually happens to the Lions, some kind of weird bad luck thing. And they, yeah, somebody, a receiver drops a pass right in the open that they could have won on or, uh, a weird tip for a pick six, you know, a weird, or they, you know, something, like, or they're not going to be able to run the ball to close it out. Or something weird was going to happen to this team. Um, and it didn't. And it, it, it's like this just felt different for them, to them for that reason. Um, so it's, it's, this is what, this is what feels different, I think, for fans and for the Lions themselves, you know, just that it's not going to be, we're not going to be snake bit um, like we 
we've been for now. There's only so much control you have over that, but um, everything that they did, yeah. I mean, they, they played well on both sides of the ball. And we do, obviously, I think, I don't know if you agree with this, Sean, but do you think if they have Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones in that game, the Lions beat the Chiefs? Maybe. That's a great answer, maybe. 51 percent, yes, or 51 percent. No, I think they would have. I think it was they would have stayed right with him. I don't. Joe, I mean, Kelsey might have made a little bit more of a difference offensively. I I don't know how much difference Jones was gonna, Jones was going to make because they sort of struggled anyway. I mean, Turnover, maybe, but something. I just the turn the the. Pressure. I mean, the the tunnel screen was just a bad call by your boy. You know that led to the, that led to the that led to the um, the fumble. So they, you know, the, and I remember when that happened. I, Twitter was blown. Why up. is that a bad call? Here we go, because it's a low. It's a it's a it's a it's a call that had a very very low chance of picking up the first down. I'm not saying it was responsible for the fumble. The fumble was uh, was right. uh, I mean, it can happen anytime. Yeah, no, for sure. But but you know, but you got a you got a guy out there who's. It's just, it's just the percentage of, of getting that first down there, which is with that particular call, it just was low. It didn't work all game, and it, and they'd already run it once or twice at that point, and then they finally went away from it. But it's um, speaking of the offensive line, it it's I don't know. J- Jones is a great player, but you know those guards in there are pretty good too. So I don't know that he was going to do the damage he did to um, to uh, I don't know. Who'd they play last year? Cincinnati or whatever. He's not going to blow up like that. It's a different level of offensive line. Kelsey would have absolutely made a difference. Is he? Is it? Is it worth another touchdown or two? That's certainly possible. But maybe then, maybe then the Lions call a slightly different game offensively, you know, and maybe that leads to other things. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. I, they would have competed with them. They wouldn't have been blown out. I mean, you could see that. They were they were they were good up front on both sides, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think they would have lost that game if you had those two players, you know, especially Kelsey. But um, but even if they didn't, you know, you play you play who's in front of you. So they and it's, it wasn't a, it was not an easy environment. Although I think Burkett said that the pregame celebration, the banner raising, where it was underwhelming. Did you agree with that? It was quick, which was good for us, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that really matters at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh yeah, it was I mean the crowd was great, it was really loud and uh, but it was yeah, it was it was not a lot of pomp and circumstance. That's probably what he meant. It was Act like you've been there before, Sean. That's the key. You know, I mean well and, and I guess they and I guess they have, right? <laughs> but uh, but but that's, big, case, that's a nice flex. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I, I tend to think it, it, I understand why you'd say that, that they would have won, but I don't know. I, I, do, I, I think, I think they, I think the Lions still win. I do. I think they adjust their game plan a little bit. I think they would have handled Chris wow. Jones just fine. Kelsey might have burned wow. some, but wow, yeah. First ballot Hall of Fame title. They control the Lions a little bit. They control. Of course, it would have helped, but they control. And I know what you're saying. It was a one point game, but they control the game at the line of scrimmage, and I think they're a little bit more aggressive. You know, and and maybe it doesn't work. Goff didn't throw the ball down the field, but at all, did he? I don't. Think, I don't remember throwing uh, down the field. He, no, he even passed twenty yards. So. I don't even think he threw it past twenty yards. I don't think so. You may be right. About and that. that and that's and that's the other thing that was noticeable: the the lack of a vertical threat a little bit. Jones is not. You know, by the by, the last year when Chark, because he missed some time early, DJ Chark, 
they, they missed him, I thought, Thursday night. And I know they're banking on Jameson Williams to come come back from his suspension and be that guy, but you know, we'll see. They'll have to do it other ways. They're gonna get Gibbs involved more in the passing game. Laporto will probably get a few more targets who look good, by the way, especially blocking, which I know they were a little that was the thing about him. You know how Ben Johnson is again, your guy. No block, no rock. Yeah. Yeah, they do need that. They're missing that vertical component because when it's only St. Brown, it's easier to, you know, kind of put the clamps on the short passes, the slants, the whatever it is um, against. And Kansas City's defense isn't great to begin with, um, and much less so without Chris Jones putting pressure up the middle. You know, um, it affects the whole thing, right? Coverage and all that. Um, So... uh, I think that they're going to, when, when they start playing better defenses, it's going to be, it's going to be a bigger test for them. Um, Cause they're not going to get JMO back for a few games. Um, so that's the question is just what, what are they going to be able to do? You know, when they don't, when they, when the defenses know what's coming and they're ready and they're better on the outside and the Lions don't have that kind of threat. That's where Ben Johnson is going to have to definitely earn his money. And, you know, come up with a different kind of game plan, you know, which is maybe why he's calling those tunnel screens, uh, something to throw them off, something to maybe not that, maybe that play doesn't win, but it sets up another play that does, you know, so it's, it's hard to tell what they're, what he's thinking, but it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit. That's the one thing that we talked about it coming out of camp is the receiver depth. It's just not really there right now. No, Reynolds made a couple plays though, right? I mean. Critical ones. That great one. Yeah, the one that set up the winning touchdown, the catch and run for 33 yards. I mean, that's. Well, he picked it, up a first and. or a third and 12 to get that drive going, which is critical. Mm-hmm. That was his first catch on that drive. And that was. You know, and he, he can do that. But yeah, no, we'll see. Look, I, I think they're a good team. You know, we were talking earlier about the relationship with Holmes and Campbell. The, the, the next step's going to be the hardest. They showed they were a good team at the end of last year. They look like they could be a good team this year. I don't know offensively. I think Seattle will actually tell us in some ways a lot more. But uh, but we'll see. I mean, maybe they're not going to be as uh, good and efficient offensively overall this year as they were last year, but they'll be better defensively. That's that's certainly well, that's certainly possible. You're talking about the, the Seahawks? The Lions. The Lions, okay, yeah. Take a, yeah they'll, well, they'll have to take a step back offensively, but be better defensively. That's certainly possible. They can't be worse defensively, so yeah, they will be better defensively for sure. Well, no, um, they were they were decent down the stretch. It's partly why they started winning, but they were like a middle of the pack. Their numbers the last ten games were sort of middle of the pack, somewhere yeah. around there. And, yeah, if uh, they can be if they can hover around that area. You know that that should be enough for the offense. Uh, if it if it comes if for sure, I, well, I think we'll learn a lot more. Sunday. I mean, who knows? I know Seattle kind of got run over by the Rams and their debut uh, on on Sunday last Sunday, but um, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see. The, we got uh, they still got some young guys. I think they got a lo- lot of room to grow with Gibbs and Laporta, and that'll help. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. All I know is that place will be crazy, eh? Well, that's the question. It'll be it'll be nuts, but that that this is an opportunity for the defense because the the Seahawks lost their two starting tackles. And they had to go sign your boy Jason Peters, forty one years old, uh, <laughs> as an emergency tackle. Uh, so Aiden Hutchinson should be having a a field day 
Um, unless the refs let the right tackle uh, get a two or three second head start, like they were letting uh, uh, Jawan Taylor get a, a head start in Kansas City. But yeah, it should be. It, it, this is a day for the defense to shine. Uh, it should be against the Seahawks, um, and uh, and the Seahawks defense gave up it was over 400 yards to the Rams. Um, so this this maybe it's an anomaly. They always say this the first week of the NFL. You know things are kind of a little bit wacky. So it could be an opportunity for the Lions, but it sh- everything should be. This is almost kind of a, a no-win situation. <laughs> Lions, they have to win this game. Like they really this do. Is the home opener, they're coming off such a high, coming off a team that just got you know slapped around by by uh, Kelly Stafford's husband. Um, yeah, so it should be, it should everything should line up. It's if it's not a double-digit win, it's almost like a a failure for the for the Lions. Kind of weird to think of it that way. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, the, the expectations are changing. All right. Well, I will. Uh... Look forward to seeing you there on Sunday. And uh, in the meantime, we'll take one last quick break here. Come back, wrap up the show with your favorite thing, and uh, and get people on their way. How's that? We'll be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. It's that time of the show. The favorite thing, where we talk about our own lives because we don't write or talk about ourselves enough. As a matter of course, through these jobs week to week, we gotta we gotta do it even more on this podcast. You know, it's just uh, it's just how we are. We think about ourselves first and nobody else. I guess, I guess, but it's good. It's good to have the truth out. Yes, yes, you it's know? all about us, Sean. We're not trying. We're not. We're not trying to hide. I would say, uh, I would say my favorite thing. Uh, from this past week was oh that's a tough one man I, I, uh, I would say eating hash browns and eggs and uh, and a homemade cinnamon roll at a you, went, wait, wait, you went you went to the barbecue capital of the planet no no I did okay. I didn't eat I didn't eat in Kansas City this is in Lincoln Nebraska I I didn't have a the only thing I ate in Kansas City was at a was a little bit of little bit of food in the press box at the era. You didn't have ribs. You didn't have ribs in Kansas City. No, 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 no. But uh, no, I did. I got I got to Kansas City about three hours before kickoff and went straight to the stadium and then uh, got back to my hotel room at about three thirty in the morning and then woke up and left left for back to back to Lincoln, Nebraska. But uh, so my favorite thing was, yeah, this this breakfast is this cafe run by this gal and had a chance to talk with her. She took me back in her kitchen and showed me the grater she's been using to grate potatoes that's decades old for these homemade hash browns. Her mom, I didn't meet, but uh, mom comes in at two in the morning and makes these cinnamon rolls, mm. homemade and dinner rolls and pies and cakes and. And and that and that was great, uh, and the food was good, and it just it was yeah. I would say I would say that was my favorite thing. That and finding out that a lot of people in Lincoln, Nebraska, and also other pockets of the country, but grew up eating cinnamon rolls and chili together. In fact, at the yeah, diner, I was, the diner I was in, they'll take the cinnamon roll and scoop out the middle and put chili in. Oh oh no! This is a crime against like. So, but then their their pockets where where they do it in Iowa. I found out Wyoming, Florida, whatever. But it 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 may have originated originated in this part of Nebraska, 
but it came out of federal school guidelines. But no, it was uh, it was interesting. So I went to another place called Lead Belly to check out this burger that was a play on that, a play as a nostalgia play where they took a burger, split a cinnamon roll in half, put the burger and the cinnamon roll, used it as a bun, put chili on top of the burger and queso and pico, and then put a fried egg on top of that. I tried that for research for a project that I'm working on. But uh, that was, and it was fine. It was actually not nearly as, it's way over the top to try to finish it. But but uh, it actually wasn't bad. It was it was fine. But the but the simple eggs and potatoes made from scratch, with the cinnamon roll made from scratch on the side at this little cafe run by this mother daughter team, that that was great. That was that was my and and then just sort of understanding the history of the federal guidelines that led in the Lincoln Nebraska school district to come up with a combination of chili and a cinnamon roll in the nineteen sixties and fed their school kids. I, I love learning stuff like that. I, yeah. I, I, I love learning little interesting tidbits like that. But anyway, yeah. So that was my favorite thing, I guess. The hash browns. That's pretty fun. I like that. Well, my favorite thing was very simple, which is I, I was it caught me by surprise, actually, was the start of the football season of the NFL. It was more Sunday than Thursday. Uh, Thursday was unique because it was the Lions and you know, I had to watch the game and all that stuff and write about it. Uh, just felt like a normal kind of day weird but then it was like a, what what friday saturday three days before the nfl games um but just getting back into the action of that and i much prefer the nfl to college football as you know and uh just watching all the all the goings on keeping up with you know bears packers and and uh rams and seahawks and then the, the, the monday night aaron Rodgers plays what four after four. watching and i i I watch, I love hard knocks. I hate it. I hate to admit it. I am a sucker for it. I watched every season for more than a decade. It's kind of had its ebbs and flows. I did I did enjoy this year. They had the Jets on and and Aaron Rodgers and all that, and it was entertaining. Uh, and he played four snaps and tears his Achilles, and he's done on Monday night. And I just it was just uh, and, and it's not a I, I never wished him ill or anything. Um, but just, just after after watching Hard Knocks and how much that that team organization, the coach, uh, the owner, you know Woody Johnson and all this, and that region, how much they want their Jets to win, how they feel like we have a great defense. We're just the piece we're missing is the offense, the the key to the offense, and and Aaron Rodgers, and he's going to tutor Zach Wilson, and it's going to happen, and blah, blah, and then four, four plays, and it's over. Uh, it just, I, I felt bad for them, but it just also felt like such a crazy letdown after watching that series myself and feeling a little bit of buy-in for, oh, man, maybe this will be different for the Jets finally this year. Be, I was interested. I was really interested. What's it going to be like with Aaron Rodgers going to a new team for the first time? And you know how Rodgers is. He likes to show people up, prove them wrong. So dang it, I'm going to take the Jets to the AFC Championship, and we'll we'll get there. And and how much the Jets were crowing in meetings about how great his, his the defensive coaches were crowing about Aaron Rodgers, but all that, all the drama for all the teams, um, and getting back into it, it feels like finally now football season has officially started. We're here, we get to look forward to the games. It'll be an exciting season for us, definitely. I think for for uh, the Lions. Um, 
But my second little piggyback on that, if I can, I know this show's run really long, but we talked about we talk about Dan Campbell a lot. But on Monday, Sean, you and I were there at his press conference, and this is one of my best examples of the magic that is Dan Campbell. Is he got two questions wrong? Uh, he he got the he he started answering incorrectly. He misunderstood the question and started giving the wrong answer. He did it twice. Um, pretty much on back-to-back questions. And only Dan Campbell can get two questions wrong, look kind of silly doing it, but then win the press conference by the way he reacts to it, where he it's self-deprecating and he goes on. And it's just, this is, a, we, we were talking about, I don't know if you were there, but afterward, the writers were talking about it a little bit. And like, how would the different coaches have reacted? How would Patricia or Caldwell, they probably would have been more defensive about it. Like, you guys need to speak up and blah, blah, blah. Campbell just took it on himself. It was hilarious. It's one of the reasons people like uh, going to his press conferences and, and dealing with him. And it was the part of that, how much, now that we're out of training camp mode and it's regular season, um, part of the whole thing, the start of the season and what's kind of enjoyable about the NFL is you don't have these pent up, you know, uh, uptight coaches or whatever in, in college or, or trying to prove themselves or, or whatever's going on. But, but with Campbell, he's a special guy that way. And um, it just it just remi- reminded me of how much I'm looking forward to the season getting underway. So, yeah. And I will see you on Sunday. So it's it's I get to see my buddy Sean Winsor. Yeah, Martin. we're going to be back in the back in the I, I, I enjoyed that all last fall and uh, I look forward to it. So we're going to. Yeah, we'll be back uh, back together again at Ford Field. That'll that'll be fun. I think we've we've got one road trip together. I want to say so. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Super Bowl we'll to go to, Super Bowl uh, to, uh, go to, Phoenix. to to Los Angeles, but um, but who knows? Maybe we can find a way to to get another road trip too. But for sure, we got we got some home games. So, all right, let's uh, let's thank the people we need to thank. Maybe you could do it because you're the one that's alert today. <laughs> uh, Robin Chan, our producer. We got to thank Robin Chan. Uh, I don't even know if he's listening today. He's probably just is a chatbot who's running the the podcast now. But if if, if you're there, Robin, it's you. Uh, many thanks to you, our executive editors, Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Alcado, and free press editor uh, Nicole Every Nichols, uh, who signs the paychecks and uh, lets us talk and blather on. But most importantly, Sean, you, the listener. The listener. The listeners listener. are most important. But where do they find us? They can find us wherever they find our favorite podcasts. Spotify, Apple. When you get there, subscribe, rate us, please. Let us know what you think. You know, that would be uh, that would be helpful. Criticism is always welcome. We're always looking at ways to get better. And uh, mostly this means more Carlos and less me. I think that's probably the best plan. But uh, thanks for uh, spending some time with us. Until next week on Free Press Sports, or until next week when we return, Carlos, with Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean.